0: Life, if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you, you'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So now in 1 Samuel 27 and 1, and David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me, to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Wow, um this is not quite the same attitude, I guess you could say, that we saw David had in chapter 26 when he marched right into Saul's camp. and. He stepped right over the top of him to go get Saul's jug and spear that was right next to him where he slept. I mean, David was not afraid, but now he is. He's having this moment of despair, and so he moves his family to Gath when there was really no need to because Saul wasn't even looking for him anymore. Saul had stopped. He's having a moment of doubt. But do you remember where is Gath? What What is significant about the city of Gath? What is What is big about Gath? This is Philistine country. David went to the hometown of Goliath, the very guy whose head he chopped off. 1 Samuel 27 and 5. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. If you remember back in Joshua 15, go look there, it says that God had given Ziklag as an inheritance to the tribe of Judah, which is what David's tribe was. And so Ziklag basically was already rightfully David's anyway, because God said, that's your piece of land right there. That's why verse 6 now in our chapter here in uh, 1 Samuel says that Ziklag had belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. But remember how David had escaped to King Achish before. This is not the first time he's done this. But now David presented himself here as Achish's servant. He called himself that. Why? Well, for a number of reasons. To keep the Philistines from attacking him, he's saying, I'm sub- I'm a servant to you, and also He didn't want Achish to think that David was there to try to rival his rule. They had already previously said, aren't you the king? David didn't want him to think, I'm here to try to take over. Achish probably figured that since David was on the run from Saul, he obviously knows this, that it was all because Israel hated David so much. Well, Saul hates him, so all Israel must hate him. And so David just needed a place to stay. I'm here. I got a place to stay. Achish figures he's he's not a threat to me. Everybody's out to get him. David had a secret motive though for staying in Ziklag. Let's look at it in 1 Samuel 27 and 8. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of of the land from of old as you go to sure even as far as the land of Egypt. Okay, David had a purpose for being in Ziklag here now, and that was to use it as a base of operations to attack these tribes. But why did David attack these tribes? Why is he doing that? Did any of you, when I read it, did any of you have your ears perk up when I said Amalekites? I hope so. You should really remember the Amalekites. You remember what the Amalekites did. When Israel left Egypt, when they were on their way out from Egypt, the Exodus, the Amalekites cowardly attacked them from the rear of their line where the older and the younger were probably traveling, and they attacked at the rear of their line. And it made God fierce, angry, something awful, mad. And so God commanded Saul to destroy the Amalekites for what they had done. First Samuel 15 and 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. And so David is now, in chapter 27 here, he is now taking up the work that Saul refused to do. Saul wouldn't do the job, so now David's having to do it. And so that's why he's attacking these tribes. Why? Because those tribes are still under God's curse for the attack that they had done on against Israel. So even though David had a time of doubting, it's kind of a, a bigger picture I want us to look at here. He had a time of doubting. I got to get out of here. Saul's going to get me. Saul's going to get me. Even still, he is now in a new position so that he could continue to serve the Lord. Now from Ziklag, he's still staying busy. Well, let's go attack the Amalekites. It's part of God's judgment that they be attacked and killed because of what they'd done against Israel. So David had a moment of doubt, and he moved because of that moment of doubt. But there's a bigger picture behind it. The Lord moved David to continue doing the work. The switch, the royal switch, is now thrown on. David is picking up the work that Saul refused to do in the past. You see how God moved. Even in David's momentary time of doubt, God can still use you. I'm not saying doubt is okay. Oh, I'll doubt and it'll still be fine. It doesn't mean that. You maintain your commitment to service in the Lord and he will still use you anyway. I think David could sense that through faith that Saul's kingdom was coming to an end soon And so David knew his rule was going to be coming up. It's kind of funny because he thought David just thought he was going to die. Uh, Just just we just read. But now he's starting to take up Saul's work to eliminate these wicked tribes in order to stabilize the land before his rule began. So see, Saul's kind of doing nothing. And now David's doing work to stabilize the land before his uh, rule even kicks off. So David's getting ready and Saul's getting about ready to go out. 1 Samuel 27 and 9. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Je- <laughs> Here we go. jer Him- Y'all forgive me. Or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. See, he's trying to keep people from ratting him out, what he's really doing. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Look real closely at the passages. Verse 8 says that David attacked who? It says he attacked the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Those, Those were Israel's enemies. But King Achish thinks that David attacked Judah, his very own tribe. Why would David say that he attacked his own people? Because Achish thinks that David has been banished from Israel by Saul. Akish thinks that his own people consider him to be a traitor. And so that would kind of fit David's story here and what he's trying to to show that would make David seem like attacking his own people was because he was banished because you kicked me out so I'm net mad at you and now I'm attacking. Akish thinks, "Oh, I've got I've got this guy. He belongs to me." <laughs> David really pulled the wool over Akish's eyes, didn't he? Achish thinks David is serving him while in reality, David is working to establish his own kingdom, which will be over Achish. Achish can't even see this slick move, David. So Achish, he thinks he's got this new champion. Now, the the, the guy that took down Goliath, obviously he's going to be good for me. So he thinks he's got a new champion to fight for him. When in reality, David is being a, a double agent, sort of speak. He's fighting for Israel. Not against. I don't see anything yet where David fought against Israel. He's fighting for Israel. God fights for Israel. I want you to know that. So, First Samuel twenty-eight, verse one. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, "You surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men." Okay, like David, you're coming with us, right? You know you're coming with me. So the timing of this attack now, why did they suddenly come to attack Israel? I think God moved them. Obviously, we're seeing God move everybody in the story. God moves the people where he needs them to be. But what was the bait? According to the Philistines, what was their reason for attacking Israel all of a sudden? I think the reason they came in to attack Israel was probably because of Saul's bad leadership at this time. It was making the nation Uh, Very unstable. Saul's not leading very well and things aren't going right. Plus, if you add in the fact that David had just supposedly defected to the Philistines' side, he didn't. Achish thinks he did, but the Philistines think, well, you know, Saul's messing up and David's with us. Man, now's the time to strike, man. We ought to go against Israel. This is a good time to attack. David's in a real spot now because how's he going to play this out? I mean, what's he supposed to do? He's got to play this double agent rollout, but how is he going to play that out if he has to stand with Akish against Israel? What's he going to do? Well, it's not so much of what is he, David going to do. What's the Lord going to do? <laughs> Friend, read the Bible and understand that even when you find yourself in a bad spot, and I know that every one of you who's listening to this radio show right now, you're in a bad spot somewhere. You've got some kind of heavy thing on you. Guys, trust in the Lord. He will move you even in your doubting times. He's got this. We're going to doubt. We're sinful. We we have a sin nature. We're prone to that. But God takes care of things. Watch what He does for David here. Let's let's go check this out. First Samuel twenty eight and two. So David said to Achis, "Surely you know what your servant can do." And Achis said to David, "Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever." <laughs> forever, he said, Achis. He still thinks. Oh man. David's working for me, man. He's mine. I got him. I'm going to use this guy as a feather in my head. Here in our reading, we've been hanging with David for some time, for well over a year at this point. But now the text is suddenly going to switch over to what's been going on in Israel, because we need to see the developments that have been happening on the Israelite side that plays into our story. So that's why the sudden switch here in verse 3. 1 Samuel 28 and 3. Now, Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. God's not talking. God's done. You know, this attitude, this idea that God has to answer all prayers or else he's not God is phony. It's it's a lie. God does not have to answer our prayers. It's a blessing when he does. I'm glad when he does it, but he's certainly not obligated to do it. Samuel died back in chapter 25 we already know that and so the reason that the bible gives us that reminder that samuel had died is so that we can see how all of saul's communication channels that he used to have uh, all the communication channels to god have now just been cut off when he's in the biggest trouble of his life and he he doesn't have samuel anymore to consult with like he used to back in the old days the urim the stones that that the priests had tucked away in their ephod he didn't have that to give the yes or no, which way do I go, what do I do kind of answers. And the prophets aren't talking either. God just shut everything off. He cut the line. So let's step back for a second and let's take a broad look at everything that's going on here, That what we've read so far. David was out there working for a kingdom that he hadn't even seen yet. He's working hard for a kingdom in the future that hasn't yet come. While Saul was sitting around pretty much doing nothing but being disobedient, only calling out to God when he wanted something. And so this is why I call this message the royal switch, because God is about to throw the royal switch from David to Saul. Obey the Lord. Do what he tells you to do. Don't just call on him when you need something. Serve the Lord all the time. Okay? Just some good advice for you there. So, Verse 3 had told us that Saul had thrown all the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. What are these? These are like witches and your fortune tellers, and and mediums were people who claimed that they could speak to the dead. 1 Samuel 28 and 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Whoa, hold on. I I mean, this is almost too much, even for me, uh, to read something like this and see this actually happened. Let me ask you a question real quick. Did this woman actually conjure up Samuel, who had been dead? I mean, he'd been dead for a while now. And she, here he is. She pulled him up. Supposedly, did she really do it? Did she conjure him up? You know, the answer is no, she did not. As a matter of fact, that's why she cried out with a loud voice. It scared her. This woman, this medium, she wasn't expecting anything to happen. She didn't do it. So who did it? The Lord conjured Samuel up. The Lord brought Samuel up. Only the Lord God has the power to do that. And so the medium herself, you can see God's intervention in this whole thing, because when Samuel come up, by the power of God, when Samuel come up, suddenly this medium had the ability to recognize Saul through his disguise. Do you see what's going on? The medium didn't do this. The Lord God is doing this. So the question I have now is why did God bring Samuel up? To give Saul one last encounter with the very prophet, who had looked for Saul back when Saul was out looking for his donkeys in chapter 9. You remember how they met when Saul was humble? He was out looking for his father's donkeys, and the Lord told Samuel, go look for this man, and he found him. But now God is going to end Saul. He started Saul through Samuel, but now he's going to end Saul through Samuel. This allows us to take a snapshot of before and after. I've been losing weight lately, and I've got before and after shots that would amaze you. So. It shows you how far you've come. So he uses Samuel again. He brings Samuel up again, the guy that started Saul, to now end Saul, to allow us a before and after snapshot of Saul so that we can see the difference in how Saul was before he was king compared to how far down Saul has fallen. Remember, when he started off, Saul started off good. He was victorious in battles, and he was more of a humble man at the banquet when Samuel brought him in. Hey, you're going to be king. You remember that? Look how far he's fallen. So we've got Samuel here brought up not only to give us a before and after snapshot of how far Saul had fallen, but also to give him a message. That's kind of the main point is a message right here in First Samuel 28 and 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul said, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, and he was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. Guys, this is just deep. I mean, you know, when you disobey your parents, they're going to punish you. And sometimes the punishment is light fitting the crime, and sometimes it's heavy fitting the crime. And this is the same thing it is with Saul. But we should observe how Saul's continued rebellion caused Saul to look for a spiritist. I mean, come on. Okay, God's not answering. I get it. But you're, this is the level we're stooping to here. We're going to go find a witch, a, a medium, a spiritist. He offered no sacrifices, no, I'm sorry, God. And he's fallen down on his face right now. He fell down full length. He didn't fall full length before. Why didn't he fall full length before? Why didn't he fall on the ground? I'm sorry, Lord, and fall flat on his face. Lord God, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry. He didn't do it. Saul would not do it. And so Samuel told Saul two major things here in the scripture. Number one, God is going to take the kingdom from you and give it to David, just like he had already been told. Remember when Saul grabbed Samuel and Samuel, he tore part of Samuel's robe off. And he says, the Lord's going to rip the kingdom from you like you tore my robe. That's exactly what's happened. Because he said, I told you it was going to happen. And here it is. And the second thing he said, tomorrow, tomorrow, you and your sons are going to die. You're going to be where I am, where I am. Friends, this chapter shows us the difference between rebellion and obedience. It tells, it shows us what it'll get you if you rebel constantly. This is where it gets you. If you're like, yeah, I know God's out there, but whatever, I've got my life to live. I'll do things my way. And you start doing things the way you want it. This is where it gets you. God's not talking. God is about to throw the royal switch. He's about to throw the switch on him. Let's see what happens. First Samuel twenty-eight and twenty-one. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled, and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please, heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you, and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. She wants them gone. Get out of here. And even the Spirit doesn't want him around anymore. God's not talking. The, the, the Urim's not talking. The prophets are not talking. Nobody's talking. He's lost all communication. Now the Spirit has wants him gone. Let me give you some bread so you can go, she said. Basically, you're too weak to travel. Let me give you something to eat so you can get out of my house. Leave. This is where it's gotten with Saul. Nobody wants him around. He's trouble. He's danger. So here in this chapter, we've had two different people, David and Saul. One was obedient and committed, even though he had his his moments of doubt. But then you got the other guy, Saul, who was not... Obedient. He was disobedient. He was not committed, but yet both of them made mistakes. But this story helps us to understand a lesson from James uh, one and twenty-two. It says, "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says."